coffee in the big game. Dust off your Walkmans and grab your Rubik's Cube. Don't cross the streams. I got a great idea, you guys. Click shoes. This is Radio Wayne's Wine to Grow On, your 30-minute time machine to the coolest moments in 80s and 90s pop culture, wrapped up in a tasty spiritual hot pocket. Stick around for some great retro fun, and if you're not careful, you might learn something before it's done. And now, here's your host, Wayne Cordova. Hey, true believers, welcome to another episode of Radio Wayne's One to Grow On. I'm your host, Wayne Cordova, piloting this time-traveling trip through the vibrant vistas of 80s and 90s pop culture. Each week, we rewind the cassette on the decade's definitive events, figures, and phenomena. This week, we're diving into the ring for a slam-packed look at the World Wrestling Federation's Rock and Wrestling Connection era. The WWF, now known as WWE, has been an entertainment juggernaut for decades, with larger-than-life characters, dramatic storylines, and high-flying action. But it was during the mid-80s when wrestling and music collided in an explosion of color, personality, and pure entertainment. The rock and wrestling era, led by wrestling icons like Hulk Hogan and Rowdy Roddy Piper, merged the worlds of professional wrestling and rock music, creating unforgettable moments both in and out of the ring. This was the time of Cyndi Lauper's managership of Wendy Richter, the first WrestleMania, the unforgettable Saturday morning cartoon Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. It was an era that truly launched professional wrestling into mainstream pop culture. So, whether you're a lifelong wrestling fan or just love a good nostalgia trip, let's jump off the top rope into the high-energy history of the Rock and Wrestling era. Live from Baltimore, Maryland, the Rock and Wrestling capital of the world, it's the Slammy Wrestling Music Awards. With special guests, Captain Lou Albano, Freddie Blassie, the Junkyard Dog, Jimmy Hart, Hillbilly Jim, Mean Gene Okerlund, Rowdy Roddy Piper, the Iron Sheik, Jesse the Body Ventura, Nikolai Volkov. From MTV guest BJ, Martha Quinn. And now your host, Vince McMahon. In 1982, Vincent J. McMahon sold the WWF to his son, Vincent K. McMahon. This pivotal transition marked Vincent K. McMahon's visionary quest to elevate professional wrestling from regional confines to a worldwide entertainment powerhouse. He aimed to unify fragmented territories, exploit cable television's reach, and blend wrestling with pop culture. This shift revolutionized the industry, eventually birthing the rock and wrestling connection era. McMahon strategically leveraged the cable television landscape by syndicating WWF content to cable networks. He ingeniously shattered geographical boundaries. This move propelled the WWF from localized territories to a national platform, captivating audiences across the country. The accessibility of cable exponentially broadened the promotion's reach, transforming it to a unified national brand and catalyzing the transition from regional wrestling to a sensational entertainment spectacle with global resonance. Hulk Hogan's ascent was dramatically propelled by his role in the 1982 film Rocky III, opposite Sylvester Stallone. The silver screen exposure ignited a meteoric rise of his popularity as audiences were captivated by his charisma and commanding presence. Seizing the momentum, Hogan's decision to depart the American Wrestling Association, the AWA, 
and aligned with the WWF in 1983, marked a seismic shift in the wrestling landscape. His larger-than-life persona resonated with fans across the nation, and his unmatched energy brought an electrifying dynamicism to the squared circle. Hogan's arrival in the WWF heralded the dawn of an era that redefined professional wrestling's entertainment quotient with his iconic charisma, signature moves, and unparalleled connection with the audience. He transcended wrestling's confines to become a global superstar. Hogan's legacy as a catalyst for the industry's transformation and indelible mark on pop culture remain unparalleled, making him a cornerstone of professional wrestling history. Cindy Lauper's entrance into the WWF during the mid-1980s heralded an unprecedented fusion of music and wrestling, bolstered by her visionary manager, David Wolfe, who recognized the synergy between the two mediums. Lauper's collaboration with the WWF was a masterstroke. Her dual role as manager and storyline participant injected a fresh energy into wrestling narratives. Her dynamic partnership with the charismatic Captain Lou Albano propelled both their personas into the limelight and solidified the rock and wrestling connection. Through electrifying confrontations and memorable moments, Lauper's involvement shattered the conventional boundaries of wrestling, ushering the sport into the mainstream cultural conversations and setting the stage for the WWF's iconic trajectory. Mr. T's transition from the iconic Rocky III role to the WWF spotlight epitomized the era's crossover success. His cinematic fame seamlessly translated into wrestling stardom, culminating in a central role at the inaugural WrestleMania. Paired with Hogan, their alliance resonated with audiences, epitomizing the marriage of sports and entertainment. Their bond further transitioned wrestling, with Hogan reciprocating by guest starring on Mr. T's popular TV series, The A-Team. This interplay between the two cultural giants captivated viewers on multiple platforms and solidified Mr. T as a pivotal figure in the rock and wrestling connection era. His involvement showcased the era's ability to harness mainstream appeal, contributing significantly to this era's impact on both wrestling and pop culture. Rowdy Roddy Piper was a captivating and pivotal figure in the WWF's rock and wrestling connection era. His role as a villain injected a dynamic energy into the wrestling landscape, contributing significantly to the era's entertainment value. Piper's persona was defined by his flamboyant, kilt-wearing, bagpipe-playing antics and his unmatched gift for eliciting boisterous reactions from the audience. Piper's villainous character thrived on his ability to antagonize both fans and fellow wrestlers. His feuds with top stars like Hulk Hogan and Mr. T and Jimmy Superfly Snuka were legendary, culminating in memorable showdowns that drove the era's narratives. Piper's outrageous interviews, cunning strategies, and irreverent behavior made him the embodiment of the era's boundary-pushing spirit. As a villain, Piper's actions often incited the crowd's passionate response, drawing them into storylines and rivalries. His provocative antics, controversial comments, and willingness to break the rules made him a captivating antagonist who fans loved to hate. Piper's charisma and ability to create a palpable emotional investment amplified the era's entertainment factor, transforming wrestling matches into gripping theater. Piper's role as a villain contributed to the Rock and Wrestling Connection's success by elevating the stakes and infusing drama into every confrontation. 
His presence demonstrated the era's seamlessness blending of athleticism and entertainment, fostering an engaging synergy that resonated with fans and kept them eagerly anticipating each subsequent episode, event, and match. WrestleMania, the inaugural grand spectacle of the WWF, was a monumental gamble that forever altered the course of professional wrestling. Held on March 31, 1985 at the iconic Madison Square Garden, this audacious event was a bold testament to Vince McMahon's unwavering vision and calculated risk-taking. McMahon's decision to pour substantial financial resources into WrestleMania was unprecedented. He envisioned a larger-than-life showcase that blended sports, entertainment, and celebrity allure. The inclusion of globally recognized figures like boxing legend Muhammad Ali, Liberace, pop culture icon Mr. T, elevated the event's appeal beyond traditional wrestling enthusiasts. The wrestling ring was transformed into a stage where athletic prowess intersected with mainstream entertainment. And amidst doubts and skepticism, WrestleMania triumphed in the most spectacular fashion, drawing a record-setting crowd and captivating millions of viewers through closed-circuit television and the fledgling pay-per-view platform. It crystallized McMahon's vision of wrestling as a multifaceted extravaganza. The event's immense success reverberated beyond the arena, transcending wrestling's niche and heralding the birth of modern pay-per-view wrestling. WrestleMania's impact extended far beyond its immediate triumph. It laid the cornerstone for WWE's future. The event's amalgamation of wrestling and celebrity involvement pioneered the formula that continues to captivate audiences worldwide. WrestleMania's boldness and innovation demonstrated the potential of wrestling as a lucrative and enthralling spectacle. The 1980s rock and wrestling connection era acted as the ignition spark for wrestling's ascendance to mainstream prominence. Its innovation and fusion of wrestling and pop culture forged a path that WWE has continued to tread. This transformative period not only captivated audiences, but also laid the cornerstone for WWE's evolution into a global entertainment powerhouse, solidifying its enduring role in shaping the cultural landscape. But let's not get ahead of ourselves, Ellen. The story actually began last summer with the brawl to settle it all, which grew out of a horrifying feud between Cyndi Lauper, rock and roll's biggest success story of 1984, and Captain Lou Albano, of course, uh, one of the greatest managers in professional wrestling, the captain appearing in Cindy Lauper's videos under friendly circumstances until he claimed managerial skills beyond his normal field of expertise. I made her a superstar from number 90 to 80 to 70 to 60. You've all heard of, of course, Life magazine. See what the captain did for Cindy. I love Lou, but he's not my manager. A lot of people think that. You came off my reputation, Cindy. Captain Lou Albano, how all women are nothing, Cindy. They're slime. What? Miss Lauper, pay attention. You're a liar. You're a sneak. You're a cheat. You're a disgrace to your family and I made you. Let me tell you something, Mr. Albano. I challenge you, you fat bag of wind. I accept your challenge. Take her, man. You got it. You want it. Well, now you got it. 
they decided to take their challenge to the ring using two wrestlers. Lopper chose contender Wendy Richter and director through a rigorous training schedule. The captain chose champion Fabulous Mula and put her on an untested, high-protein diet of unborn virgin goat's milk. I'm ready, they're ready, the fans well, are ready, you're ready, and she's ready, baby. Take right. it away. The resulting brawl to settle it all at Madison Square Garden actually did settle it all. Total victory for Richter, who became the women's champion, and for Lauper, who received a public apology from the captain. So I grew up in Belleville, New Jersey. Uh, I was born in 76, and like I said before, it was this sweet spot. And as a wrestling fan, I was a fan from day one. I mean, literally from birth, thanks to my brother. Uh, he was nine years older than me and was a huge fan of the early years of the WWF. I mean, his favorite wrestler was Bob Backlund, the All-American, you know, the All-American boy. And I remember him being shocked at Bob Backlund's loss to the Iron Sheik when the Iron Sheik had defeated him for the WWF World Championship. And I remember that shock kind of translating to me going, I, I should be upset about this too, right? And, and feeling that feeling of, oh no, what are we going to do? Because the Iron Sheik is now the champion and who could defeat the Iron Sheik? The Iron Sheik at the time, you know, was unstoppable. He had the camel clutch finishing move and he was making people submit left and right. And then all of a sudden came Hulk Hogan. Hulk was, uh, you know, this larger than life personality. And I remember as a kid seeing him the first time I saw him was in the Rocky movie because at the time. So here's what happened with with Hulk was when Hulk Hogan was originally with the WWF, it was at that, I think it was at that time still the WWWF. It used to, instead of World Wrestling Federation, it was known as the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. And Hulk wanted to do Rocky Three. He was offered the part as Thunderlips, the ultimate male, baby. Uh, and so he was invited to be a part of this movie, and Vincent J. McMahon said no. However, Vern Gagne, the owner of the AWA, was fine with it. So here Hogan was now moved over to the AWA, spending some time there doing uh, doing the movies and doing Rocky Three, And, you know, he was all the way in there. But Vincent K. McMahon, the new owner of the WWF, World Wrestling Federation, he saw dollar signs and stars because he saw that Hulk Hogan was a star and was able to move Hogan from the W from the AWA to the WWF and. They were off to the races. And so here was Hulk Hogan now, the new big good guy in the WWF. And I was able to witness the birth of Hulkamania secondhand uh, because my brother actually attended that event. January 23rd, 1984, Madison Square Garden. My brother and uh, two of my cousins were there to witness this event. And here they were, Hulk Hogan defeating the Iron Sheik. This is, you know, uh, back in the day of the 80s and major patriotism. So he did it for the USA. He did it for the WWF and he was the champion. And this whole thing uh, 
we doc I doc I documented this with my brother a few years ago on my Wrestle with Hope podcast. And I think I will make that audio available somehow. I'll repost that audio so you guys can hear it so we can kind of um you know go through that story because we unpacked that entire story together on that episode. And so I'll share that with you y'all. But here you had Hulk Hogan. He, you know, he became the champion. It was a thing that we were excited about. We were pumped about and it and it fired off this rock and wrestling connection because here's Hulk Hogan coming out to Eye of the Tiger. Here's you know the, the excitement of these larger than life characters. It wasn't very long after that that now all of a sudden he's got the eye of um Bobby the Brain Heenan and his crew, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, uh Big John Stud, King Kong Bundy, and all of these bad guys are coming after him. Then you have Rowdy Roddy Piper, who is literally came on the scene and was just the mortal enemy of Hulk Hogan. And that was the beginnings of just some incredible larger than life characters showing up in the WWF. I wasn't necessarily a Hulk Hogan fan. Like I he was the top guy in the WWF, but I wasn't necessarily about those guys. I was about the next tier. I was into Tito Santana, the junkyard dog, Jimmy Superfly Snooka, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Rowdy Roddy Piper, the British Bulldogs, the Hart Foundation, the Wild Samoans, Andre the Giant, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and especially Ooh, yeah, Randy Macho Man Savage. I was all about these characters that were colorful, were good, were bad, were were definitive. You knew who to cheer. You knew who to boo. I was a fan of Tito Santana, and he was this, this guy who um, may not have been the top tier guy. But he he was the intercontinental champion at the time and, and defeated Greg the Hammer Valentine for it. And it was just this, you know, this idea of something to rally and, and get behind. You know, you get um, Macho Man Randy Savage and and the lovely Elizabeth with him. And, you know, these characters that one after the other after the other, you you couldn't make this stuff up. You couldn't make up, you know, these guys, the um, the honky tonk man. And, and and basically a wrestling Elvis impersonator. Who could make this work except for Wayne Ferris, the honky tonk man? So, I mean, thank, thanks to my brother and his fandom, I quickly filled up my TV schedule with as much wrestling as I could get. The, the WWF aired on all New York, New Jersey stations, WOR, WPIX. We had Wrestling Challenge. We had WWF Superstars of Wrestling. We had WWF All-American Wrestling. We had WWF Tuesday Night Titans. Primetime wrestling. It was on all the time. And then even beyond that, you had the National Wrestling Alliance, which eventually became World Championship Wrestling. They were on Superstation, TBS, Saturdays, 6.05. The AWA, American Wrestling Association, was on ESPN. You had World, world Class Championship Wrestling from Texas, airing on uh, in, in our market, too, on, on random channels. And you had all this wrestling all the time, anywhere, I was a huge fan of the TV guide and I literally would grab a highlighter and any time I saw the word wrestling on there, I highlighted it, made sure it was appointment TV, any wrestling that I could consume, I would. I would come up with the fantasy uh, matchups and I would put together super cards 
of WWF versus the NWA versus AWA and, and all of these all their champions. I'd put them together and you know make up games and even before we had you know figures, we would use He-Man action figures and replace them as wrestlers. And so Hulk Hogan was He-Man, obviously, and um, Ram Man was Gorilla Monsoon, and Skeletor would be uh, the well, the um, mass superstar. You know, we would do all these things where all these guys, we would use them even before we had wrestling figures to get. And eventually I got those. I got these LJN big rubber guys, these giant, you could use them as weapons because they weren't like action figures. They were rubber statues almost of these guys. And you could, if you could use Greg the Hammer Valentine as a real hammer if you wanted to. King Kong Bundy was the perfect doorstop because he was so heavy. You had everything at your disposal because when the rock and wrestling connection happened, wrestling just took off like wildfire. You had Cindy Lauper first having Captain Lou Albano on on her videos. If you watch the movie, the the video, uh, the the girls just want to have fun, and she's singing about her father. And the guy in the video playing her father is Captain Lou Albano. The, he would then move on to any of her other videos that she that she would air. He was in them in some way, shape, or form. Then she got connected with the Goonies, and even she even joined the Goonies and wrestling together. Because in her video, Goonies are good enough. You have the bad guys in the video are WWF bad guys: Roddy Piper, Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov. All of them coming together, classy Freddie Blassie. All of these guys as the bad guys of the video. The good guys are the Goonies. And Andre the Giant, and you have like just this, you have literally this giant crossover of all these different characters, all thanks to Cindy and Cindy Lauper even coming to WWF television, getting involved physically in matches, managing Wendy Richter, who was the, she was the top, she was the Hulk Hogan of women's wrestling at the time. She was the top star in women's wrestling. She defeated the fabulous Moolah for her championship, and then Cindy Lauper was her manager and going to the ring with her. You had Mr. T joining Hulk Hogan, his Rocky Three co-star. He was on WWF TV against Rowdy Roddy Piper. They even went as far as to go beyond WrestleMania. WrestleMania 2, they had a boxing match against each other. This was a two to three year long feud. And then, of course, the main event of the first ever WrestleMania, right? You have Rowdy, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, versus Mr. T and Hulk Hogan. And then you had a cavalcade of stars. You had Billy Martin, the manager of the Yankees, as the ring announcer. You had Muhammad Ali was the guest referee. Imagine this. Muhammad Ali was the single most famous athlete in the world at that time. The single most famous athlete of the world. Think of the most famous person in the world right now as a guest referee in the main event of a WrestleMania. That's what happened during this time. And you had all these characters, all these celebrities come together. And then you had the villain, Rowdy Roddy Piper, the villain that you just love to hate. And eventually for me, the villain that I just cheered because Hogan wasn't the top guy for me. I was, you know, I was all about all the other people. And just Roddy Piper was just more fun to cheer for me. Saturday mornings, they weren't complete without WWF superstars of wrestling. The, the uh, WWF rock and wrestling cartoon with Hulk Hogan and, and all the other characters. You had to watch that. 
you know, you had all of these things coming on, you know, one after the other. And then, of course, the, the ice cream man would come by my house. And if he didn't have WWF superstars ice cream bars, he would totally hear my Bobby Heenan impression. I'd be like, all right, humanoid. I need that. Ha- I need the uh, the ice cream bar. You ham and egger. I would <laughs> I would be insulting the ice cream man if he didn't have because these were the single greatest. And I still say to this day, the single greatest ice cream bar I've ever had in my life. It was ice cream. On one end, it was dipped in chocolate. On the other end, it had a full length cookie that was delicious with a picture of a WWF superstar on the front. I loved it when it had the Macho Man on there. And to me, those were the greatest single things in the world because now you are on a race against time to eat this cookie, to eat this ice cream, to have this chocolate, and just to be, you know, just to enjoy its goodness and deliciousness. When I was growing up in New Jersey, I would stay often with my grandparents and my and my aunt, and there was a deli like down the way that sold these in their little fridge, and it was amazing. Anyway, best ice creams ever, never duplicated, often imitated. My brother and I, thanks to him, pro wrestling has just been in my veins since I was a kid. The show, the spectacle, the pageantry, the athleticism, the comedy, it all makes my favorite form of, of entertainment, even to this day. It's a Broadway show and an athletic display all at once. It is arena football and Cirque du Soleil. It is every movie and TV genre you could imagine all wrapped up into one. Every single character, every single match, every single storyline. It's a soap opera for dudes. But I say that, but women love it too. It's, it's a lot of fun. And we have gone, my brother and I, to several WrestleManias together. We make it an annual trip to bond over our shared love of the squared circle and our love for each other, and to just be kids again. We sit there in the stands, and once again, I'm eight years old, and I'm cheering the good guys on, and I'm booing the bad guys, and we are you know, cheering when the, when the mat gets counted down to three, and the match is over, and the spectacle is there, and we just have fun. I love wrestling, and the rock and wrestling connection is so special to me as I look back at my childhood and realize that so much of it was wrapped up in these storylines and in these characters and every piece of entertainment that I love on top of that is only second when it comes to wrestling in the 1980s. From Madison Square Garden, the World Wrestling Federation presents... WrestleMania, the executioner, meet Tito Santana, Special Delivery Jones versus King Kong Bundy, Ricky Steamboat versus Matt Bourne, Brutus Beefcake to tangle with David Sammartino, Greg Valentine to meet the challenger, Junkyard Dog, the tag team title matchup, the champions, Wyndham and Rotundo to meet the challengers, Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. The $15,000 slam match, Andre the Giant to meet Big John Studd. The World Wrestling Federation Ladies Championship matchup, Leilani Kai, the champion, to meet the challenger, Wendy Richter. And in the main event, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff and Rowdy Roddy Piper face World Wrestling Federation champion, Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. Special guest referee, Muhammad Ali. 
special ring announcer, Billy Martin. Special timekeeper, Liberace. And now we take you to your announcers at ringside, Gorilla Monsoon. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time again for the Q&A, and uh, let's dive in and uh, see what you got. RadioWayne at gmail.com is the place to submit your Q&A questions, and uh, let's go right to it. Marty from Wisconsin. Hey, Marty, I know you're not Marty Gennetti, are you? I don't know. Is he in Wisconsin? He's a rocker. (laughs) Uh, Which wrestler had the best theme song? During the rock and wrestling connection era, the best theme song. Okay, so I got to tell you, when it came to the 80s and the theme songs, you know, you, you had some amazing, some of them were hits that, first off, they were licensed music. So it, was, it wasn't even the pre-made music that was done by Jim Johnston of the WWF at the time. The, the theme songs of the WWF, I think, truly are what made it. Uh, just memorable. And and I remember when Hulk Hogan's theme was Eye of the Tiger. To me, still, nothing beats that theme when you come out to, you know, bum, 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 bum. That was just, that was, that was electrifying. And while Real American is a great theme song, nothing could get as good as Eye of the Tiger at the time. Macho Man, Randy Savage coming out to Pomp and Circumstance and all I mean, literally, it was great. When I graduated both high school and college and they played that song, I, I couldn't help but let out a, ooh, yeah, because I kind of felt macho, man. But yeah, I think I think my favorite theme song of the rock and wrestling era was that was Eye of the Tiger when it was being used. I mean, it was very short lived because then they didn't want to keep paying for uh, that song by Survivor over and over again. But I love that. Nothing will beat that. Go back and look at some old videos of Hulk Hogan coming out to that song. So good. Jake from Florida. Jake from Florida. What are, you, uh, what are you saying, Jake? Which wrestling match from this era do you think is the most underrated and why? Most underrated. Oh, that's really good. So I would honestly tell you that most of the matches that were aired on primetime wrestling were really good matches. Primetime wrestling preceded Monday Night Raw, and it was Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan, and most of the matches that they were playing were matches from house shows. Houses, uh, house shows are matches that took place in the arena that were not te- televised. They were recorded, but not necessarily te- televised on superstars of wrestling or anything like that. And so uh, yeah, a lot of the matches on those shows are actually really good matches. Nothing beats in the rock and wrestling era, era the tag team matches between the British Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation. So I, I just I challenge you to go into YouTube we're going to the um, WWF uh, online, the WWF network on Peacock right now, right? They have these uh, the show called Hidden Gems. Go in there, pull up anything involving the British Bulldogs. That's Davy Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid versus the Hart Foundation. Brett the Hitman Hart, my favorite wrestler of all time, and Jim the Anvil Nightheart. Those matches are incredible. One other note, by the way, on theme songs. I can't believe I missed this. I'm going to go back to it, and 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 I got to bring this one back up because I just thought of this right now because we're talking tag teams. Demolition, Axe and Smash had the best theme song. It was this rocking tune. It was done by Rick Derringer, and uh, literally just it just tells you the story of Demolition and what they're going to do to you. It's like, here comes the Axe. 
Here comes the smasher, the demolition, walking disaster. The whole song just explained to you what was going to happen in a match. Pain and destruction is our middle name. You, you can't beat that. Anyway, that was, I know I skipped the question, but that was that. We're going back to it. And there you go. Um, demolition, killer, killer theme song. Derek from Texas. Um, what if the rock and wrestling connection had never happened? How would this have affected the popularity of the WWF? Honestly, I don't even know that there's a way that this could have not happened. It was such a natural progression. This wasn't like um, when it came to you know the rock and wrestling connection. It wasn't like, hey, who can we get? Who could? It was this natural progression of relationships and partnerships that built one over the other. I honestly think that if Cindy Lauper and Captain Lou Albano had not teamed up, I don't know where they would have been because uh, it was one honestly helping the other, and um, and and then just you know the the whole idea of those guys. I I think honestly MTV growing into itself and becoming this national phenomenon as well, hand in hand is what put the WWF together. Honestly, it's like if if rock and wrestling hadn't happened, WWF in all of wrestling would still be territorial, would still be in small venues, and would be a novelty. But uh, it, I think it was honestly just inevitable. Um, Lucas from Arkansas, if they made a movie about the rock and wrestling connection era, who would you cast as Rowdy Roddy Piper? That That's an insane question. Okay, if they made a movie about the rock and wrestling connection, who would you cast as Rowdy Roddy Piper? I mean, I, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I'm not sure. I don't know if you've heard about the movie about Texas wrestling that's, that's coming out, um, called the iron claw. And Zach Efron is going to be playing Carrie Von Eric in that. But if I had to pick somebody, you'd, you'd have to pick somebody just, who's just a lunatic to be Rowdy Roddy Piper. You know, somebody just, I only think of like uh, old, Actors, older actors, and so like I think of somebody like you know Joaquin Phoenix maybe or something like that. But yeah, you'd have to pick you know somebody who's just willing to just be completely nuts um, to be Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Last question, okay, and we'll uh, dive in. Ivan from uh, Indiana, okay, Ivan from Indiana. How was the Rock and Wrestling Connections era influenced today's WWE storylines, if at all? Okay, so here's my um, here's the thing. I the the rock and wrestling connection has a you know has an end date. I really kind of think that around WrestleMania three is when it kind of capped off, and then we kind of moved into a little bit more of a late eighties era and that kind of thing. But even today, those effects are being felt. Why? Well, because um, you have Mr. T and Cindy Lauper. They were the two biggest stars in Hollywood and in music at that time. Well, now, what do you have today? Well, you have stars like Bad Bunny, who arguably is the biggest international music star around today. He's involved in WWE storylines. You have uh, Logan Paul, who is, you know, one of the biggest YouTube and uh, social media stars of all time. He's involved. You get guys, you know, all over the place. You have celebrities like Stephen Amell. Um, you know, who was Arrow involved in, you know, WWE, who then went on to become you know, to start his his own wrestling 
show, you know, called Heels. You have celebrities like Shaquille O'Neal wrestling in matches. You, you Left and right, you get these celebrities that are involved and, and won't stop. Johnny Knoxville was involved in WrestleMania two years ago. Now it has just become a normal fact of life. WWE and wrestling is just part of pop culture. And if you are a big star or want to be a big star, it won't hurt to get involved in wrestling. So, yeah, some great Q&A questions. Uh, it is now time for One to Grow On. Thanks again, everybody, for the incredible Q&A questions. We really appreciate them and do keep them coming. And uh, you know, now we're going to talk about a different kind of battle. And one of those things that gets me thinking when it comes to the great big personalities of WWF 80s rock and wrestling is the personalities, the, the showmanship, the flamboyancy, and, you know, and overall, the pride. It's all behaviors that don't communicate well in the real world, right? You can't just walk into a uh, room and just kind of expl- exclaim to yourself, to be the man, you got to beat the man. You can't do that. You can't, you know, uh, go to the uh, to the checkout counter and tell the person across the way, what you going to do, brother? And you can't do those things. You can't really take those attitudes from that era into everyday life. And so we think about there's a big battle out there between pride and humility and what's going to get you further in reality. I tend to think that humility gets you a little bit further. So let's talk about this big grudge match and step in the ring. Round one with that is this. Pride feels entitled, but humility feels gratitude. It's an opportunity to tag out of the mindset of I deserve this and enter into what I like to call the gratitude era. It's a title well worth chasing to know the idea of you can enter into a situation and say, I can be thankful for this, or you can enter it and say, I deserve this. The outcomes are going to be different, and I believe you come out better with an attitude of gratitude. Round two, pride wants high position, but humility leads from any position. Zig Ziglar, not Dolph Ziggler, Zig Ziglar <laughs> once put it perfectly this way. Humility will open more doors than arrogance ever will. That's the kind of leadership that we should aspire for. That's the kind of position we go for. If you think you can only be heard if you're at the top, you're selling yourself short. Wherever you're at in any position in your organization, in your company, in your life, wherever you're at, you can lead by leading up, by leading laterally, even by leading down. You don't need a high position 
All you need to be able to do is to show that you can lead from any position. Round three, pride stops learning, but humility keeps growing. Think about it. You, you know, of all the guys that were wrestling back in the day, you, you know, the, the the thought was growth, right? And you get in there, and you uh, you get into the gym, you get into the you know, to the workouts, you do what you can, right? You pump up, you pump up, you pump up. There were no cruiser weights back in the eighties. Everybody was a heavyweight because growth was a huge deal. Well, in our own minds and in our own lives, we got to take a look at what Rick Warren says. He said, humility isn't about denying your strengths. It's about being honest with your weaknesses. What you're able to do by acknowledging your weaknesses, to knowing where you fall short, to know where you need to grow, you become a learner. I've always said over and over again, leaders are learners. You can step in there and say, hey, I've got something to learn from this situation. When you walk in saying, I know everything there is to know, that becomes our downfall. Round four, pride takes the spotlight, but humility points to others. Picture the best tag teams that are out there. It wasn't about one star, but it was about the duo. That's what I love about tag teams so much. C.S. Lewis captured it this way. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. See, it's not about thinking that, well, I don't deserve this or I'm not, I'm not good enough. No, humility is thinking of yourself less and thinking of others more. Being able to put other people into the spotlight, being able to work as a team, then you'll begin to grow and succeed. As we step out of our metaphorical ring today, remember every champion, every legend in the WWF or in life has faced this battle. But here's the game changer. Meekness is not the same as weakness. It's strength under control. It's grace under fire. So, my friends, which side are you choosing in this daily bout? Let's champion humility and in doing so, truly win the match of life. And that's one to grow on. Hey, you little hustlers out there. You want to have fun? Watch my show. Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Well, true believers, it's that time again when we hit pause on another fantastic episode of Radio Wayne's One to Grow On. And I got to say, strolling down memory lane of 1980s WWF rock and wrestling has been a body slamming blast. Now, I want to make sure you keep your ringside seat for our Q&A segments. Keep those questions coming. We are hungry for your questions, so don't hold back. Drop those gems on us, radiowayne at gmail.com for those. But hey, before we tag out, let's talk about keeping the pop culture love alive. First up, make sure you hit that subscribe button on all podcast platforms. And if you're feeling a little extra, toss us a review. It's like giving us a virtual high five. Now, for those of you who want the VIP experience, check out our Patreon for just $5 a month. It unlocks a treasure chest of bonus content, including exclusive podcast posts, polls for future topics, and the more you know exclusive audio. Now, if you've got stories to share or questions to ask, hit us up on voicemail, 727-37-WAYNE or 727-379-2963. Need more typing room? We'll drop us a line at RadioWayne at gmail.com. Get a backstage pass to our shenanigans on Instagram at RadioWayne. 
Now, before we sign off, let's give a shout out to the mastermind behind our podcast logo and artwork, the incredible artist Greg Goslin. Show him some love by following at Greg Goslin and exploring his creative world. Last but not least, a huge round of applause for our editor extraordinaire, Stephen Orr. You can catch his awesomeness on Just Another Fanboy or the Superman Super Show podcast. All right, folks. Let's get ready for our next adventure into the realms of the 80s and 90s pop culture. Until then, remember, train, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and be kind. Rewind. Woo!